1: Saskatchewan's number one sports talk show is on. And now, starting an hour earlier, welcome inside the Radio Octagon. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Here's your host, Michael Ball. And away we go on this
2: Wednesday, July 19th. I'm Michael Ball. Sean Kleisinger has been busy since 6 in the morning, so he is not going to be with me. Riding Shotgun's Blaine Wyland, who is over at Rider Practice, got some audio for us. And we'll play that throughout the show. It's Wednesday, and that means we'll talk to the radio voice of the Toronto Blue Jays, Ben Wagner. Live from the booth at the Rogers Centre, just before they take on my Padres for the second game in a row. I get to rub it into him, and I get to rub it into Blaine Wyland, who's wearing his Blue Jays blue hat. The Padres actually showed up for a change and absolutely destroyed the Blue Jays nine to one. It was embarrassing for Alec Manoa. I would say, Blaine, it was a step back. For yeah, for 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 Manoa, Manoa, yeah, yeah. The Blue Jays have been playing great baseball. It's only their second loss in ten games. So, like, let's not I'm not rubbing it that much in. Like I told you, Musgrove is going to smoke Manoa on the mound, which he did, and then uh, the Padres will lose the next two, and that's what'll happen. I, I'm not getting that cocky, but uh, that's a step back for. He played a real lineup instead of the Tigers.
3: Yeah, that's a, that was a tough one. Um, I wonder, you know, when he comes, when Rio comes back, if it's a situation where like Rio Manoa kind of combo is like that fifth starter.
2: You know, I'm not sure if Manoa's gonna get, he's gonna find his his no, mojo. He's done this year, and mm. and it sucks for the Blue Jays. Like I'm not a baseball expert, so I'm not gonna sit here and tell you. But just listening to. Wagner's broadcast and some of the talking heads like you can't have a guy go out there and then every every game from about the fourth inning on they've got to go to the bullpen right away it soaks your bullpen man so that's not a winning combination for the Blue Jays so we'll talk to him we're also going to talk to Julio Caravada from BC to get the lay of the land on the BC lines from a reporter's perspective of course we had um Matthew Betts on yesterday. He was was great to talk to. Uh, Elsewhere in the world of sports, um, the FIFA World Women's Cup is getting underway. I think it gets underway like 1 o'clock our time in the morning. And Canada will play tomorrow night at 6.30 our time against Nigeria. We're going to talk to Kevin Holness, who is the technical director of Regina FC in town here. He is our expert, so we'll talk to him. Plenty of things to get to. Our text line you can weigh in nine three six sixty-two sixty-two. It's a number to text, and it's brought to you by our friends over there, the Capital Auto Group. All our guests come to you via the Western Pizza Hotline. When you order Western Pizza, ask about the Rough Riders sweet deal. Um the sweet deal gives you a chance to be in the running for a sweet experience at a Rough Rider game. Watch a game in a luxury suite, courtesy of our friends at Western Pete's. You can always call 936 262 if you want to talk, or 1-866-767-0620. Um... Elsewhere in the world of uh, sports, I didn't get your take on this, but Mika Kiprasov's going into the hall, which I like. I he's the alt, He owns every Flames goalie record, except I think playoff wins, which Mike Vernon owns, because they won the Stanley Cup that year. But like the dude is a stud. He should be in there. I know a lot of his teammates say he was the most vocal goalie they've ever been with on the ice. But off the ice, he didn't talk much. <laughs> he was a recluse. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, yeah, it's kind of ironic,
3: that, or I don't know if it's ironic in the sense that that day, I believe Jerome McGill because I was at Jerome McGill's jersey retirement and that was at March, I think it was March 2nd the same day that Kipper this. up. Yeah, it's going to be I think
2: it's, or it could have been March 1st, but still around right the same around time. Right around the same time, and of course again was back with the Calgary Flames, an advisor to Craig Conroy, they were all together on the Flames there. Now I, uh, I don't I said this yesterday like Theo Fleury's he's not he's not in yet I don't think in the flames hall and he needs to be but he isn't because of the the bs we have in our world now just because somebody has views you don't agree with or could be a little bit dicey uh vaccine or political views that's the only reason Theo Fleury's not in there Theo Fleury should be in ahead of Mika Kiprasov give me a break uh but uh yeah so hopefully he gets in at some point uh Haxtell, the coach of the uh, Seattle Kraken, he deserves to uh, get an extension. And yes, indeed, he does. Dave Haxtell, who actually um, lives in the offseason. In Grand Forks, North Dakota. Because he used to be the the coach of the North Dakota Fighting Hawks, or Sioux. And he uh, lives there uh, when he's not living in Seattle. And before that, I believe, he was the coach of the Philadelphia Flyers, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah. So, uh, I'm endeavoring to get him on the show. Because, as you know, I've got ties at UND. So, we're trying to get him on the show. But he has definitely uh, inked a, a contract and uh, back with the Kraken again, and he should be. They're a, they're a great team. Speaking of hockey, I do want to bring this up. If you missed it yesterday, we did announce it. We are going the sports cage trip, going to Miami. We're combining the four S's: Sun, Sand, Sports Cage, Sports. Okay, so you're going to go there. You're going to watch the Dallas Stars play the Florida Panthers, the Pittsburgh Penguins, and Malkin and Crosby. They're healthy, which they should be. Hopefully, knock on wood. Get to see Sydney Crosby still playing pretty good hockey. Not definitely the best player in the world, but he's up there and you get to see an all-time legend uh, and not in a legends game, in an actual NHL game, against a team that uh, features some really good talent, Barkoff and Tkachuk, uh, yeah, and and they went to the Stanley Cup against mm-hmm. Vegas, so we've got that shaken down, plus a Monday night game with the Miami Dolphins and Tennessee Titans, and we got our party and all that type of thing. It's going to include your hotels, your accommodation, your transfers. We'll have all the exact pricing and details, end of this week, early next week, so uh, there you go it's the sports cage trip december 5th through the 12th so keep buy somebody a christmas gift it'll probably i don't know exactly but i'm thinking around 2500 i think last year was 2300 but of course that dreaded inflation brought everything up so there you go and we'll end on some um, sad news passing away at the age of 86 was former rider president fred wagman who is a pillar in this community now I want to, I, I think I'm right when I say this, but, um, I, I, I do believe I passed him, uh, going into the stadium right after the game. He was coming out in a wheelchair as he went to all the games, and he called this show, the post-game show, and this show from time to time. I know he was a, a regular uh, listener and contributor. I think I Luke and I passed him because somebody said, hey, Fred, just hang on a second. Look, just like Fred Wagman, And I just didn't have a time to say stop and shake his hand because they usually did, but we were hustling in because we got to get ready for the post-game show. But yeah, he passes away. Uh Fred ushered the club through one of the dark hours in 96. The Rough Riders could have folded under a financial crisis. He rallied Rider Nation to help organize a telethon that saved the team because his other hat was over at Access. Cable Regina, Access. He was running Access Communications, too, and what would become now Access Now. And uh, they're heavily involved in sports and in the huddle, local sports, Regina Pats coverage. So... um yeah, the the Riders put this out on Twitter, and I'd like to echo it, sending our condolences to his family, his kids, Lisa and Troy, his many friends, and all those fortunate enough to know him. He is going to be missed here on the Sports Cage and the Sports Cage Radio Roundtable, and of course, uh, for what he did with the Rough Riders and Access. And I will tell you, without guys like Fred Wegman, Tom Shepard, John Lipp, we are not enjoying Rough Rider football, and we're not enjoying it in the new stadium. So keep that in mind, and we will. Bring his, in some f- small way, a tribute in his life to light with John Lip, who brought him onto the Riders Board of Directors, uh, and followed John as team president. So we will have John Lip on the show just after five o'clock. Okay, we're going to take a break. Once again, nine three six sixty two sixty two the number to text if you want to. We're going to pick the score, I think, in a little bit too, if I'm not mistaken. Well at some point today. But we do have picked the score, given away tickets via text to the um, Riders' August 6th game. So that's what I'll do. We're not going to go, hey, the 9th texter, the 12th texter. If you text any comments, whatever you want to say, text it in, try to grab our attention, whatever, and I'll randomly pick somebody before the end of the show. This is the Sports Cage, your voice of Saskatchewan, is 620 CKRM. RM
1: the kings of Saskatchewan sports talk this is the sports cage on 620 CKRM real men
2: don't care what color they wear look at me I got the peach on Eh, got the peach color on from Colin O'Brien's man shop got my specs by Ryan uh Glasses. I'm a walking... Really billable.
3: bring a, really bring really out the blue the in your blue, eyes.
2: Thanks! thanks. <laughs> the Blue Jay Blue, eh? Hey, how about this story from Seattle? The fans and the team are pissed. Oh, yeah. Because they've taken out a bunch of their memorabilia in the store and put in Blue Jay stuff because it's the big weekend set. Jay's coming down yeah. to beat up on the Mariners. And uh, actually, we're going to have Rick Riz, the voice of the Mariners, on the show tomorrow. But, uh, yeah, they're mad. Can you imagine oh, yeah. replacing half the ride? stuff with Blue Bomber (laughs) stuff on Labor Day? Would it make it out in one piece? Like, yeah, no kidding. I mean, that's that's um, that's not exactly apples to apples because yeah. that would be like rider or um, uh, flames and Oilers. Uh, Toronto and Seattle aren't that big of rivals, although they met in the playoffs last year. And yeah. Seattle won. And you know, a lot of people are coming down from Vancouver and BC for that game.
3: Yeah, that's kind of the th- dynamic because Toronto's a country. You know, like it's a country team. You know, it's yeah. all Canada and the yeah. Vancouver. Really, Seattle's the close closer to obviously closer than. Toronto. So yeah. that's where that's really their home game. Those Vancouver fans.
2: Yeah, for sure. So uh, I get what the business side is doing. They are trying to make money, and that's smart. But it's not smart ticket off some of the fans and ticket off uh, some of the uh, players. Okay, we got text at nine three six sixty two sixty two. Just ahead of Logan Ferlin and Blaine's conversation with him. What what do you got for text there?
3: Okay, we got one from James today. He was at practice today. He said Mason Fine looks good. Accurate throws and comfortable looks. Let's just look after him in BC. Nice to see Roland Milligan walking in a boot mm. without a noticeable limp. Good sign. No Lanier. He's probably really busy at the bank, I guess.
2: <laughs> he was actually at Tim Hortons today. See. Yeah. Anthony Lanier's got a foot injury, and uh, he is still on the limp, and it is a big price tag to pay, but what were you going to do? Let him go? Injuries happen in football. Next man up, I know it's... Um, it's just, it's an adage, but it's true. It's next man up in the world of football. We'll get to more text, but first, let's hear Blaine Wyland, who was just there, but he was also in conversation this week with Logan Furland. Yeah, and it's a... Bring
4: up a bad memory, but take me through the, the
5: mind of Logan Furland when you see Trevor Harris go down this Uh your, your heart breaks for the guy. He's such a, t- a team guy and really has created something special here, culture-wise, and... Uh your heart breaks for for a guy that's, you know, showing up first thing in the morning, last guy to leave uh, day in, day out, one of the hardest-working guys on the field. So, yeah, it's a heartbreaker would would define it.
4: How do you move forward in that game and as a season without your starting quarterback?
5: I mean, we we got a new starting quarterback, right? We got Mason Fine, and we we have to trust trust his play. Mason's an extremely good player, and uh, we just have to trust what he brings to the table.
4: Did you have to flip a switch when you you know you obviously show compassion when your quarterback goes down during the game I'm saying and then all of a sudden you got to still play the game and, and finish a game
5: yeah it's uh it's a it's a tricky moment cuz uh it's pretty emotional watching a guy you know possibly end his season you you know you don't know what that injury is at the time and uh you know if you were in the same shoes you know vice versa it's the same thing so um it is a it is a switch flip moment like uh and that's just that's really what it is you have to be able to just go back to uh, game time and uh, focus up but as an O-lineman I guess I'll say uh, you're looking
4: forward always right and and it doesn't really matter who's behind you or or does does it matter who's sticking the snaps
5: I mean nothing overall nothing changes too much I mean you might get a little bit different cadence you might get a little bit different drops but for the most part our guys are really good at being consistent no matter who's in there Uh, nothing really changes for us so we just have to like I said trust what Mason's going to do trust his play um, give him enough time to make his reads and we'll put ourselves in a good spot.
3: It seems like uh, Mason's always the most positive guy in the room is that the case?
5: Absolutely I mean we I think we have a lot of positivity in the room and uh, but yeah Mason's a very brings brings a very positive mindset to the room as well.
3: How big is it to have a guy with experience in case of, like, with Mason's situation coming in?
5: It's huge. You know, he, he got a decent amount of playing time last year, and uh, it, I think it showed in the in the last quarter um, just how he plays. And, uh, you know, we were able to drive the ball a couple times. So uh, I think that's important, His the game time experience he's had, and it brings a lot to the table.
3: What areas of his game did he grow in in terms
5: of improving from last year to this year? I mean, as an all lineman, I... I probably can't tell you very much, honestly. <laughs> I don't watch a lot of quarterback film, but uh, I think it's just going to be maturity and just it's going to the game's going to slow down a lot for him. The more game experience a guy has, the more things really slow down out there.
3: Just the old line. You just talk about the, the, the challenge you guys have been facing over these last few weeks with the continuity of different guys rotating, especially at that left tackle.
5: It, yeah, I mean it's not just old line; it's our whole team. We've been we've been dealing with the injury bugs. so. Um, continuity is always a big thing. We need it, but we also can't make excuses, and that can't be an excuse for having a, a sloppy game. So uh, we need to bounce back and just get together as a unit and, and fix what we need to fix.
3: I know Bigs have a guy like Brand Council back this week. It looks like so far, at
5: least today. Yeah, it's big. I mean, uh, Lofton does a great job as well, and uh, it doesn't matter who's in there. We're we're gonna play like the same unit.
4: You guys need to play better as an O line.
5: I I believe so. Last game was easily our worst game this year, and we have a lot to improve on, and. uh we're obviously not going to take these guys lightly. They're, they're a very good D-line, and uh, we're going to approach it like we do every week and, and grind it out and refocus and uh, just next game.
4: Is there anything that you can do differently, or is it all just about performing on game day? Can you, can you take a different approach during practice, prep, whatnot, or is it all just about... I mean,
5: really it just comes down to more prep. Um, more prep as a group, I think, so we're all on the same page is, is, uh, is really the, the name of the week, I think. Um, so as far as like putting the working on the field we're always a very hard working unit on and off the field And we just need to continue to do that
6: After, win- oh, after winning
3: so many close games you learn a tough lesson when you lose
5: one It's tough. It's been frustrating too like with close games all the time, you know, you're it just adds a, a different level of exhaustion when when you're just always finishing at the very end, so um, you know, we have to do a better job of just taking teams away in the first half
1: that's uh, you're listening to the radio home of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM
2: all right the FIFA World Women's Cup coming up here um well over in Australia and we're joined by our expert the technical director of FC Regina that would be our friend Kevin Holness how are you bud I'm great. How are you? Good, man. First off, how are things on the soccer scene in Regina, health-wise? I imagine as good as ever.
0: Yeah, club is growing. Kids are uh, thriving. It's it's getting better and better every year.
2: We're talking. You were talking about female soccer here. How is it in the uh, in the girls and women's ranks?
0: You know what? It's it's grown over the last four or five years. I think the uh, development of uh, youth soccer, especially on the female side, has taken a tremendous. Uh, uplifting uh, curve if you want to call it that due to the exposure that we've had over the past years especially with our our women's program so it's it's helped us from a club side
2: yeah we always talk about this uh, locally when we're talking rider football when the riders do well they get larger enrollment for flag and uh, tackle uh do you find that too or, where if canada will do well at this tournament say oh i want to be the next uh, whoever right
0: there is there is that proponent of it it's it's our struggle is is retention because i think the 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 fad kind of dies out after yeah. a year or so and it's always been that way with soccer but during the tournament and 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 precomp and all the hype around it i think it definitely helps uh, the increase in female soccer from our standpoint
2: well and i imagine with new canadians coming to our province that helps out too
0: oh huge and and finding that connection and and finally finding that connection there are cultures uh, outside of uh, canada that really don't support uh, women's soccer so a lot of them when they arrive here it's a new thing they have the ability and uh, intrigued by the fact that they can participate in in leagues
2: yeah okay so let's talk about the uh, world women's Cup final World here, Cup. the World Cup final here. Let's talk about this, man. We've got Nigeria on the plate here on Thursday. Um, do you know much about uh, many of these teams like Nigeria? What what will this be in terms of an opponent against Canada?
0: I know minimal, but the the DNA of Nigeria soccer is physical, is fast, uh, some technical ability. They're going to be a very aggressive opponent uh, for Canada. It's it's a uh, matter if. Canada can match their physicality, can match their pace, which I believe they can. Technically, just from history alone, from my own personal view, I think Canada has the upper hand in that sense. And I think it'll be a good match. I, I don't expect Canada... To, to lose in any of the the group stages but it's going to be very competitive
2: now no disrespect to the women but uh, you know the canadian men are an up-and-coming team but they're definitely not considered a powerhouse would you put canada the female team in the uh women's world cup in the upper echelon here
0: 100 i think they've always shown that uh, they can compete with the best of them hey they won a gold medal at mm-hmm. the, the the last olympics they've been in the Top four or five consistently in the in the world uh, in the World Cup competing, and I do feel they're one of the stronger nations on the female side.
2: So, would you go USA number one probably?
0: Uh, you know what? It's a toss up. Germany, Japan, USA, Canada. There's there's four or five now that, uh, including France, over the last four or five years that uh, it's very hard to determine who's going to walk away with it. Which is a great thing because uh, a lot of people are hesitant when it comes to watching. Uh, Female soccer, the attendance isn't similar to the men's, but over the last uh, four or five years, the games have been tremendous, a lot more uh, fast paced and entertaining. And and with the increase in, in professional leagues across the world for, for female soccer, I think it's helped this type of uh, tournament gain some more exposure and gain a lot more interest than it has in the past.
2: Yeah, you read my mind. We know it's huge for the men. Um... Do you think it'll uh, be pretty popular here this go around just based on what you said?
0: I I think my my issue and, and I don't mean to sound negative it's 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 the hype when the tournament is going on when the tournament is over and and there's no more games it loses that that appeal to it and I think that's where we struggle as a a sport nation for for soccer and it's it's both on the men's side as well the men's history alone carries that intrigue carries that interest uh but the women i think there's a lot of work to do to maintain that that interest and maintain that exposure across the country
2: you know it's funny you say that and i i don't think it's just soccer i think the only Real sport that Canada throws money into is hockey. They don't do it for soccer. They're they're kind of coming with our version of football here in North America. But you just find, like, when I compare it to the U.S., the U.S. is so sports-driven. And I think coaches, technical directors like yourself, the players, they care. But I just don't know if there's that appetite when it comes to money to care. And that really hamstrings, you know, a, a program.
0: That's a great point, and I think you hit it on the head. In my days, uh, my Canadian team used to play against the U.S. and and hammer them uh, four or five nothing on a regular basis. And they vowed to to put money into their program so that they can be in the elite uh, upper elite in the world. And they did it. And you, you see it on both sides in all levels of their programming. It takes that that bravery for organizations and companies and and major sponsors to just say we're going to jump in and we're going to make this this sport a a bigger piece of the pie than than what it currently is
2: now i don't expect you to be the hands-on expert here but you do know probably the most about soccer in this town what do you what do you make of team canada where do you uh, think their strength is and, and 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 do you give them a good shot to 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 do something in this tourney
0: i think their strength is is coming from their youth uh, Ballsy, and and i feel that uh, with the upcoming uh, players and the influx of youth players Combined with one of their most prolific goal-scoring veteran, Christine Sinclair, mm. playing in her in her sixth World Cup at 40 years old, I think that adds a lot to it. I think Canada's done a lot of the research over the years with finding that right type of youth players and bringing in more athleticism to compete with the best of the world, to compete with the. The USA's and the Germany's, and it's it's proven on the world stage now.
2: Well, and, and let's wrap it up with that. I, you know, we talk about the Tom Brady's and, you know, even Larry Dean with the Rough Riders at 35 playing middle linebacker. It's absolutely amazing. Adam Big Hill for the Blue Bombers. But 40 year old Christine Sinclair, 40 years old playing soccer. You got to be an unbelievable athlete to begin with at, you know, the younger age playing soccer. But at 40, wow.
0: Right. You you hear about those athletes that you listed off. It's how they take care of themselves away from the game. And I think with her, she's always been a a fierce competitor. She's always been a leader. She's always tried to maintain a a really high standard in in the way that she approaches the game from talking to to different folks around the country. It's just a a different class. and, And her ability to still compete at the world stage at this age is fantastic.
2: Kevin Holness, technical director of FC Regina here in town. Thank you for your time, man. We will uh, have you as our expert like we did for the Men's World Cup. You're our <laughs> Women's World Cup expert, okay?
1: I appreciate the time. Thank you. Nobody covers your team like our team. This is the Sports Cage on the Mighty 620 CKRM. Welcome back to the show. Wherever you're listening,
2: however you're listening, thanks for making us part of your day. I'm Michael Ball, along with Blaine Weiland. Sean Kleisinger returns to his producer chair tomorrow, but uh, he was working at Tim Horton's 6 to 10 this morning, then came over, took over from Lounge. He's on holidays. Blaine's been busy doing his regular job being our online sports writer and, of course, being our reporter down at Rider Practice. And Now he comes over here and works with me, and I do appreciate that, and I appreciate you listening. 936-6262 is the number to text. You can call that number, too. I know our phone's been ringing, but we've been busy with Blaine's got his – he's like an air traffic controller over there, so we'll try to get to your calls when we can or 1-866-767-0620. Uh, like I said, our text line is power by the Capital Auto Group. We're asking you to send in a text today. We will pick a, rammed, a random texter for Pick the Score. So when you text, send in a random text, okay? But also give us your score for the game coming up here. And yeah, we'll be in touch with you, and you'll be in the running for... uh A SASTEL gift card and a chance to watch a game next year in a suite you and three others. So just text us at 936-6262. Make your text stand out, but leave the score and uh we will uh put we'll see if we draw you, and if we do, we'll be in contact with you, okay? Uh I was joking about this in the sports ticker, Blaine. So PFF Pro Football Focus, they do NFL grading. Uh, they did the CFL grades. And uh, Chad Kelly was number one, 93.4 from the quarterback spot. I can't argue. Pretty good. James Butler and his Best game as a running back with Hamilton, 87.3 was his grade. David Ungerer III was good for Toronto, 77.1. Um, James Vodders, Calgary cleaned up. James Vodders had a couple of quarterback sacks. He graded at 79.8. Uh, That's the best D lineman. Micah Alway, linebacker, 81.1. Dude's a tackling machine. Uh, Robertson Daniel, Best DB at 74.8. Then, of course, he's money. Rene Money Paredes booted them to a victory, unfortunately. Still got a sour taste in my mouth over that one, but he is automatic. 84.7 was his grade. And then the one that's the shocker is uh, Kobe Williams. He graded out at 91, the top special teams player. Now, obviously, it was because of tackling, but he was also on a special teams unit that... Didn't get anywhere near Mario Alford on the second punt return. Like, uh, Cody Grace out kicked his coverage. Alford takes it and goes all the way, weaves by. All he's got to beat is Aaron Crawford, the long snapper, and he's gone for a 94 yarder. Oh, by the way, that was his second punt return touchdown of the game. He also had a 65-yarder where it was no yard, so Calgary was illegally in the halo. He bounces off of everybody, goes left, they take poor angles. I don't know if Kobe Williams is one of them, and he goes for a touchdown. Listen, I am not going to sit here and pretend to be an analytics nerd. I got a life, okay? But I don't care. I watch a game by guts, a gut feel, and the eyeball test. And you do to some extent too. You cannot tell me Mario Alfred isn't the special teams player of the week in the CFL.
3: I agree, one thousand percent on that. I mean, I, I don't understand that. I I really would like a breakdown of the PFF system, to be honest. I mean, that's I know it's kind of a paid subscription and that and all that, but yeah. uh, I would like the breakdown of their
2: grading network because I have been
3: scratching my head these last few weeks.
2: The three toughest plays to score on in the CFL, in order. Would be probably a block field goal, okay? Coming around the edge, blocking a field goal, scoop and score, okay? Next would be a block punt to to block the punt, scoop and score. Because the ball's all over the place. And the third toughest play is punt return. It's harder than a kick return because a kick return generally, although punters do punt it this way, end over end, right? Punters, because they want to control their direction, they'll do end over end, which makes it easier for the returner, okay? But they, they sacrifice there so they can control it and directionally punt it. But generally, all the it's a kamikaze. If anything's off a little bit, the guy's on his own returning the punt, That's the third. That's the third toughest way to score a touchdown in the CFL, in my opinion, and it's the most exciting play.
3: I agree that the punt is tougher than the kickoff. You can set like with the kickoff return, you could set up your returns a lot better. You got more options with the whole field. Mm -hmm. Uh, Punt return, you're really limited and. He could be tracked to the sidelines and that, so I agree a 1,000% too as well that it's harder to return a punt than a kickoff.
2: Yeah, and so he did it not once but twice. Mm -hmm. Think about how great Gizmo was. Gizmo Williams is the best punt returner in the history. He's the best punt returner that's ever done it on both sides, and you can tell me, Devin Hester, Gizmo was better, and Gizmo would have been better, but... Buddy Ryan didn't like him in Philadelphia so they kicked his ass to Canada and all he did was like when people were debating oh Janarian Grant's punt return one of the greatest of all time it was a good one do you remember you probably don't because you're not old enough Sadly, I'm showing my age, but in 1991, Gizmo ran that punt return through Calgary guys on the short side of the field in Edmonton. It looked like he was going to be tackled. He went through the maze of all of them and went straight down the field. That was maybe the greatest one of all time. And he had so many good ones. He's up there with like him and Barry Sanders, you know, in terms of on the field making moves like that. Electricity, yeah, Yeah. electricity. But anyway, uh, it goes back to how great our game is and the fact you can, like in the NFL. If the guy scores a Hail Mary, the game's over. There's no way that Buffalo's coming back with 42 seconds to go against Cincinnati. Yeah. Let's just pick two teams. You knew as soon as Tevin Jones scored there, I even said in the broadcast, whoa, hold the phone. They got 42 seconds and Rene Paredes. The only thing I critiqued in that game... Blaine, I wish the Riders defenders would have held up Trey Odom's dukes and drained the clock, because he situa- uh, situationally didn't know what he was doing.
3: Yeah, we were saying that. I we mentioned that in the press box as well that as that happened. like should have held him up and drained out those final. Th- uh, I think it was two seconds. Yeah, because
2: they give they give you about two seconds, one thousand one, one thousand two, and that was the only thing. Like I didn't blame Tevin Jones for running into the no, end zone. Oh yeah, no, no, not at all. So anyway. Uh, that's that. Speaking of returners, Blaine Wyland was, well, he's there, but he was there, which is at the stadium, and he had a chance to uh, get in the scrum and talk to Frankie Hickson about being a return man, about what he learns from Alfred and all that type of thing.
7: Um, this Frankie, I guess being a member of the special teams, what's that like, how do you have to adapt your game on that
8: side to the ball? Oh, you just have to be in really good shape, um, be ready to make the play. Um, it's, it's unique because special teams uses the entire field. You know, offense, defense, we try to, um, but defense, you know, ultimately tries to eliminate it. But um, in special teams, you can really use all, what is it, 150 by 65, like, it's a gigantic field, and, and um, if you're not in condition and if you're not ready to make the play, you can look really silly out there.
7: What's it like as a teammate seeing Mario be able to do what he can do?
8: Oh, it's, uh, it's a great sign, um, I think, of the the team, but you got a great guy right there, a special guy, and um, he's not selfish. He's uh, definitely team first, um, and so he deserves to, to have games like that. And, um you know he's uh he's definitely special he's definitely a future hall of famer and um you know we we love to just be a part of it
7: what can you learn from him
8: i'm just uh taking every day for uh for what it is and just uh trying to maximize the reps that you get and, and maximize the opportunities and uh yeah he's uh he's great at doing that.
7: We saw at Calgary, obviously started to kick the ball away from him <laughs> and yeah. they started coming to you. So yeah. when it's your opportunity, what's going through your mind?
8: Uh, well, I got to make the play the same as if Mario were, but I got to do it the way that, you know, I do things. And can't uh, I can't be Mario, but uh, I can be a, a, a good version of myself and make a good decision for my team. Has this team really become battle tested for the fact you guys have been in really four close games this season? Of course. We're we're battle tested, but uh that's the game of football and um I don't think any team in any season has ever, you know, made it completely free without injury. That's that's never happened. That can't happen. It's this is a violent sport, um and, and it's a tough game and it's about who can go through the, the the mountaintops and the valleys and still be standing at the end of it all. Andrew, how are you feeling? Are you looking to get yourself into a rhythm in terms of nope, as a running back? Yeah, I mean it would be great to get into a rhythm but it's I mean at the end of the day it's whatever the team needs um, and rather and that's on any of the special teams or if that's just me supporting my team from wherever I can be. I'll do whatever it takes to win. Has Mason been any different these past few days, you know, as a starting quarter compared to before? No, I mean, this is a very next man mentality type of team. And I think we're showing a, a, a great example of it um, just every day and every week and, you know, no guy you've seen has, has, you know, got the the lights in their eyes and and shied away from anything. Um, Everybody has just been waiting for their opportunity, and when it's come, they've made the most of it. And so there will be no different. Mason will do the same thing.
7: What is the biggest challenge this BC defense brings to the table?
8: I think their effort, their effort and their motor. um, They show up all all the time on film with just, you know, being at the right place at the right time and and giving 100% effort and, and just working for for what they get. And so when you you have a team like that, you have to match their energy, you have to match their effort, uh, and you have to find a way to be better than them. And um, we have a great scheme ready for them, offense, defense, special teams, and it should be a good battle.
2: Alright, I misread the clock. I'm looking at the clock, plane. and I'm like, what's going on here? Why are we... Holy cow, I misread the clock. So anyway... At least you're not the offensive uh, game planner here. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, <laughs> no kidding. Penalty! Time count violation. <laughs> Ballsy, fifteen yard penalty. Actually, okay, so we got time here, Blaine. Yeah. Let's go to the text line, which is powered by the Capital Auto Group. We're asking for your text. Random texts. We'll pick a text randomly, I guess. And uh try to make your text stand out so we pick your text. You gotta give us the score, and then we will get a hold of you uh with regards to uh um, uh, having an opportunity to go to the Ottawa-Saskatchewan game on August the 6th. So go ahead, I uh, Just read a couple texts for us. All right, this is coming from Allison and Kevin Hicks from Sherwood Park, Alberta. Oh, yeah. But they're on vacation listening to the
3: entire awesome show. They're predicting a the score of Saskatchewan 29, BC 27. Ooh. And what like the heck is one. going on not picking Super Mario? They're uh, talking yeah. about the special teams not picking Super Mario yeah, special teams. Yeah, come
2: on. Give me a break. That's embarrassing.
3: Um, And this one, no name, but I'm hoping we can get our next QB is what I'm hoping for. I do feel bad for
2: Harris. I like him, but I actually wanted Dane Evans. Okay, Dane Evans. Yeah, it's funny with Dane Evans, right? Dane Evans is a guy who won't see the field probably this year if everything goes the way BC wants, right? Yeah. And his stock will rise by just being a backup like Bo Levi Mitchell. Like, Bo was benched because he wasn't that great, got a huge raise, goes to Hamilton, was eh at the start, and then got hurt. Dane Evans, his stock is shot up because of all these injuries and everything. Everybody's saying, well, they've got to make a trade for Dane Evans. Not us, but other teams. Why would BC part with him? The way the trend's going, you've got to hold on to that quarterback.
3: Yeah, especially when Vernon Adams, this last month, threw six interceptions in that one game. Yeah. I was a little surprised that Evans didn't get in that game but uh, I guess you know they were only down by like 10 points. I was,
2: but kudos to Rick Campbell and Jordan McSimmick. They stuck with him. They're giving him confidence. That's one thing. Vernon's been a yo-yo his whole career. They bring him in. They take him out. They're like, no, we're committing to you unless you show us that you can't do it. Now, they caught a break in BC because if you watch that Montreal BC game, Daquois picks him off on his first pass of the game, takes it back for a pick six, and one of the worst PI calls in CFL history. I can't believe that uh, that BC didn't challenge that but yeah. they didn't cha- or check that the Montreal yeah. didn't challenge that like what is Jason Moss smoking you gotta challenge that that could have been the whole game right there because Vernon could have been rattled
3: and here's another text. Yeah. We'll go uh, this is from Dave from PA. Yeah. If the Riders don't approve their O line and D line, they will not make the playoffs. They couldn't stop Calgary with forty two seconds left in the game and sign Sean Lemon, or the Riders will not make the playoffs, like the mm-hmm. computer said on Monday and mm-hmm. last year.
2: Okay. Does he you want to do any of you besides Kevin and Allison want to go to games? Leave us a score. This is pick the score. So text in. It's great what you're saying. I appreciate that, Dave and PA. But leave a score. And then maybe we'll pick your text, get back to you, and you can go to the game August 6th uh, when the uh, Saskatchewan Roughriders take on Bobby Dice and the Ottawa Red Blacks with the Dustin. Well, don't call it a crumback. It, they got that shirt, eh? They're selling that shirt in Ottawa. Oh, I did see the that. Cr- the Crumbback they're calling it. I've watched the end of that game. Zinger and I were texting. Dude, he made some... Because I was in the booth and I yeah. wasn't really paying attention. He had two nice touchdown runs. Yeah. But that last drive to tie the game, he was making some pinpoint unreal passes. I thought he was real good. Mm-hmm. And who knows, maybe he'll be the guy in Ottawa. We need some of these guys. I am in camp fine. Let's hope he can, uh, the guys can raise their level of play. And we can get it done in BC. We'll get to more text 936-6262. Okay. I think I see our newsman over there. He's in the booth now. Uh, I, I didn't screw up the time. Let's play a commercial and get to our four
1: o'clock news. 620 CKRM is proud to be the official radio partner of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and your home for the hottest sports talk anywhere. This is The Sports Cage with your host Michael Ball. And away we go, our number 2 on The
2: Sports Cage. However you're listening, wherever you're listening, thanks for making us part of your day. Now we're asking you to send us texts Okay, at 936 Text us what you think the score is going to be this Saturday against the BC Lions. If Blaine and I put our heads together, that's a feat in itself, and we pick a text with a score on it, that person we pick will get tickets to the Ottawa game here August 6th, which is a Sunday. You'll also... If you pick the score closest to the score or accurately pick the score for that game Saturday, you'll get a $200 gift card from Sastel because it's Sastel pick the score. And if you get that far in the contest journey, then you will be in the running next year. You and three to be at a game in a luxury suite. You'll be in a draw for that. So the first step is send us in a text. Catch Blaine's attention. He's looking at the text at 936-6262. Say whatever you want, any sports topic you want, uh, but then give us a score and uh, give us your name. I don't want anonymous texter, okay? Anonymous texter, we're not going to do that much of hard work. We're not hard workers in radio, okay? That's not what we do. I do want to point out, too, the sports cage trip is back for another year. Now, last year was around, I think, $2,300 to go. We went to Los Angeles, watched two NFL games and two hockey games. Um, And in the price of the sports cage uh, trip, it is flight, accommodation, the transportation to and from the airport to the hotel and from the hotel to the games. This year, we are going to Miami, Florida. So we're combining the four S's, sports cage, sports, sand, and sun. Maybe we could do five S's, surf. I have no idea. Whatever you want to do. Um, call Terry at CAA Travel Saskatchewan because this will go fast. Now, I don't have the exact details in terms of where we're staying or the exact price yet because Terry's just working on that. But we do apparently have pretty good seats to the NFL Monday Night Football. Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. It's going to be the Miami Dolphins and the Tennessee Titans. So they're Tua, Tonga, Vailoa. Um I think Derrick Henry's still on the team. Is Ryan Tannehill still the quarterback of that team? Yeah. yeah. DeAndre Hopkins just signed with the Hopkins, Titans. Hopkins, two years, $26 million. Could go to $32 million with incentive. So, you know, he'll be playing his butt off. Uh, so we're going from December 5th to 12th. The Monday night game. And we've got two hockey games, the Florida Panthers and the Dallas Stars, who were in the Western Conference final versus Vegas. And then the Florida Panthers and the Pittsburgh Penguins. Panthers, of course, went to the Stanley Cup. Penguins are always in the mix. They've got, uh, they didn't, we're in the playoffs last year for the first time in a long time. But Sidney Crosby still is a high caliber player. So is Malkin. They've got some good players over there. And if we stare Up at the rafters, maybe we'll see boy wonder Kyle Dubas there who said he was never going to do anything. He was just going to, I am not, if it's not the Leafs, it's nobody. Oh, wait a minute. I was lying. I was just trying to negotiate. So, yeah, the sports cage trip, December 5th through the 12th. And, uh, yeah. And then I've, and then, folks, and then, folks, I'm working on something else. I'm working on something big, something real big in the queue, but this is big too Miami, Monday Night Football, NHL Hockey, let's get after it Um, call Terry over at CAA Travel because it is going to go fast and I know there are people that are on waiting lists from last year that had so much fun they want to go again okay, um, let us uh, hear from Coach Craig Dickinson now, and first off he's asked about his thoughts on Mason Fine from day one to day two calling the shots in the Riders offense
9: Uh, a little sharper yeah looked like he was a little more in command of the huddle um just looked a touch more comfortable yeah we got to handle their defensive line they got a really good defensive front and they got a good secondary as well so offensively i think we got to play one of our best games and we got to take care of the football and we got to try to create some turnovers when we're on defense are you challenging that
3: defensive line this week they haven't really gone a little
9: bit yeah we think we can do better i did i did put up some stats this morning and we know Um, We've got to improve in terms of uh, protecting the quarterback and getting after him.
4: What makes Mario Alford so dynamic?
9: He's got great football IQ. He really understands the scheme and he understands blocking leverage and then he's got you know, he's got pull-away speed. Once he gets in the open field, he's he's tough to catch.
3: You've seen a lot of returners as a special teams coordinator. What separates him from some of those other guys? He's already
9: yeah, a rider's just, franchise leader. In I think touchdown. speed. I, I hated coaching against him. That's why we went out and got him. Like, I, like, I want him on my team. Um, and his knack for getting it in the end zone. He really has a knack for, if he's close, he scores. And uh, it's been a pleasure coaching him. Hard worker. Shows up early every day. And just a great guy to have around.
4: How much more important, are, or what is the difference between speed and elusiveness
9: when it comes to a guy like that? Show? Yeah, it it's, one, can you, you can be both, yeah, but a lot, a lot of times you're one or the other. Uh, he's got both, um, uh, we, use, we use the term short area quickness, he's got that. And we also use the term, uh, he's got track speed or long speed, he's got that as well. So he's he's a good one. What's
10: your read on Amari Henderson and what he has brought to this team over
9: Yeah, good player, uh, Rob. This is his second year, and he's taken that second-year jump, so um, he's been one of our best best DBs for sure in the start.
10: What have you seen him do in terms of making
1: that jump? What's, what's I think he
9: understands the game better. You know, it's not the first time he's seen route concepts. It's not the first time he's seen the motion, and I think he's gained a lot of confidence, and that, that in and of itself has probably been the difference between Amari of this year, and amari of
3: year what do you see from him as a person
9: great guy great guy team first dude he you know he's been battling injuries just like a lot of them have and he just keeps playing and he doesn't say much but when he when he talks his, his teammates listen he's got He's got a lot of respect in
10: that room. How's Lake Corte Moore performed early in his
9: career? Okay, he, he's, he's tired right now, you know, cause he's a rookie and it's a lot of stuff going on for him, but he's done what we expected him to do. We expect him to improve as the year goes on and give us a little bit more, but I'm, I'm pleased with where he's at.
7: Is there a chance that maybe Brett doesn't play this week? You put Campbell in in order to rest him for
9: touchdown Atlantic? No, there's so not. Brett's, still Brett's the- gonna play unless he does something silly
3: between now and day four. Playing four tight games to start off the season does that make become a grind both physically and mentally? Uh, a little bit maybe, but it also sharpens
9: us. You know that it really sharpens you. It fo- forces you to really focus on the details. I think it helps you as a coach because you're coaching in tight games and you're going over scenarios. So, I think these tight games in the end will help us.
3: Craig, what have you noticed in the growth of Fern Adams
9: Jr. as he's gone from team to team? Yeah, uh, he just looks like he's. He's with uh, really well-rounded this year. I, I credit Rick and, and Jordan McSimmick, the coaches over there. They, they've done a good job um, giving him stuff that he's good at and, and really allowing him to grow. But I also think just experience, similar to the question Rob raised about Amari, when you've seen it a, f- a few times, you gain confidence. When you gain confidence, your performance increases. So Vernon looks really good right now.
0: You remember seeing him in practice
10: here?
9: Oh, yeah. I know him personally. He played at Eastern Washington. I'm a... University of Montana
2: alum, so I've known about Vernon.
9: He can do everything that other quarterbacks can do, but on top of that, he's super tough.
2: Yeah, I like I like Vernon Adams as a person and you like to see a guy like that excel. Maybe not this week against our football team, but the league needs whatever starting quote-unquote star quarterbacks we have left to stay playing and not you know, have all these injuries. It's crazy what's going on. You, know, Bo Levi Mitchell, Trevor Harris, Jeremiah Masoli. It's crazy. It's uh eh. It's unreal actually. So you hope for the crumbs and you hope for the Mason uh, fines. Let's talk about fine for a second, because you've been at practice, you've been breaking bread with Britt Dort and all the other reporters. What's kind of the consensus on this uh, on this Mason Fine, I don't wanna say experiment, but how much of a leash is he gonna get? And realistically, what is it, what are they say what are the other reporters saying about how they think he's gonna do? You know if, in terms of the leash
3: itself, I think it's one of those you can't say he's got a two game leash or he's got a three game leash or a six game leash. It's kinda don't I don't want to say it's kinda week by week, but it, it kinda depends. like it, it is almost week by it, week. It, it is. He's faced it's what a start for him, though. He's gotta go on the road to BC against the tough maybe the best defense of a lot probably the best defensive line. The best team in the West. Best team but in the West by a lot. And then the next week he's gotta go across the country. Face the best, the best team I think at Toronto, in a neutral site game, and in a field he's you know hasn't played in anything like that. Like that's a tough start he's going to get. Up. But at the same time, they don't got much room for reprieve. Like I really think for me, I think he's got four games, a, a four game range. I think that those two games, and then you got Ottawa, and then that Montreal game. I think those are the four games. I think mm-hmm. that's kind of. But it's adaptable that leash, but I think that's kind of the range. That's and that
2: and you're right. You raised a really good point, and I I've thought of it too. BC, Halifax against the two best teams in the CFL. Sorry, Bomber fans, but the two best teams in the CFL. Yeah. And then he comes home against a Bob dice led team, which, okay, you want to have that victory, but nothing's given, especially on home uh, turf. They've really struggled since last July. They're one and two this year, and then they got to go to Montreal on a short week and play Cody Fajardo, who is going to be absolutely jacked and to Jason, play the Riders.
3: And Jason Moss as well, too. Yeah, head coach that's so, so going to be so, there. So,
2: I mean, this is a tough, tough, tough stretch for the Riders. That's why uh, you got to be happy that they're 3-2 and two at this point. If they could somehow pull off a win this week, that would be huge for confidence and everything. And I think the Riders could beat the BC Lions with Mason Fine at quarterback. For sure, if they had more reinforcements but because you have consistently 11 guys did not participate in practice like when Anthony Lanier the 2nd is serving coffee at Tim Hortons and not on a practice field what does that tell you like that's you know, Milligan's out. The receiving core. It's nice that Lenius is back, but he can't play this week. So, uh, we will see. Every team goes through injuries. I don't think the season's done. Let's get to a couple of texts here, Blaine, before we go to break here. All right. This is from Dale Melford.
3: He said, this is a tough one. is really good. They bring the heat. Unless we play better in office, I don't think the Riders can keep up with Harris. Mm-hmm. I believe we'll keep it close with fine. It's an unknown. And he's going to say the, his prediction for the final score is 30-18 to 18 for BC.
2: Okay. I, I, I can buy that. I, I think it could... I could see the scenario where it's close and then BC pulls away at the end. Kind of like week two against Winnipeg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got another one?
3: Uh, Do you want two more or one more? Two more. Two more, okay. Uh, uh, I don't got a name for this one. The prediction was 25-21 riders and the... Caller or text or Ask, please ask Coach Dickinson why Picton isn't being used more. He made a lot of plays and when he gets a chance to be involved. Okay, and I know that I already know the answer. They like him as the, the Swiss Army knife to put him at different yeah. spots. Yeah, that's that, right. That, that, that's that'll the be their answer.
2: That'll be their answer. And you
3: got one more there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Riders lose twenty six seventeen. Being a realist, fine needs at least a four game leash. Great show as always, boys. And that's coming from some no
2: name or name Ethan Ball. Yeah, and he's not getting the tickets. But no, he listens. He doesn't to this, want him anyway. He listens to the show every day and. I'll tell you this right now. I don't give a crap if I sound a little bit biased. That kid's got a good head on his shoulders, and he has done a lot to to flip his roommates and teammates' um, viewing style. They are all CFL fans. They're following guys on Instagram and teams and everything, and that's awesome. I'm uh, Kudos to Ethan for wear, uh, waving the CFL flag down south. All right. Uh, we'll be back with more of the Sports Cage in a moment here on 620 CKRM.
1: In. with Saskatchewan sports fans come to talk this is the sports cage on sports radio 620 CKRM
2: welcome back to the sports cage 936-6262 our text line you can also call that number locally or one 866 let's head out in the western pizza hotline if we can before we address a couple more texts John Schmidt joins us John the Habs fan John how are you bro
7: not too bad, bro. How you doing? Good, man. What's up? Well, you know, Baldy, um, I think that uh, they're going to do okay in BC. I, I don't know if they'll win, but I think they're going to show a lot. they got a lot of heart. The only thing is, with that receiving core BC has, they can't play like they did against Calgary and leave guys wide open.
2: Yeah, well, the problem with what happened...
7: The problem they get they'll get 50 points scored on them in, in no time.
2: Yeah, the problem, John, uh, with regards to the secondary is they had a couple of injuries, they had to move guys around, and there were some communication busts, in particular on that touchdown to Hakanavanu, where he's wide open in the end zone there. They had three safeties in, in that play, as Luke described, to guard against that, and they still got beat. So there were some communication busts, and of course... Uh, what What hurts the riders uh the best friend of a secondary is a great pass rush, and the rough riders haven 't been able to get home. Pete Robertson did well. I thought Cox jr affected a couple of plays he forced that interception that deontay Williams got, but other than that the rough, rough riders need more consistency up front
7: I agree one hundred percent
2: yeah,
1: Kelsey,
7: but uh you know what this is Mason finds a uh, chance, you know I mean. Uh, he went deep on that pass to Tevon Jones, and yeah. it was about time because you know we were nickel and diamond underneath all you know all the short stuff because they weren't giving us much, and they were keeping us honest. And he went down and uh, and found that. And I like his arm, and I I want to see some more of that because I think uh, we can exploit them a little bit.
2: Yeah, he's got a good arm. He's accurate, and he can move a little better than Trevor Harris, although Trevor's done a good job with his legs this year. Unfortunately, that last run ended his season. But, yeah, Mason Fine, if you remember in that game, and I know you do, Johnny slipped away from the rush, ran for 24 yards. And this guy, everybody's been picking against him for his whole life. Uh, didn't have much coming out of uh, Oklahoma State in terms of uh, – College interest went to North Texas, the Green. Uh, for, what are they called, Blaine? I think the Mean Green. Mean I Green, yeah. So he, it's appropriate. He's wearing green in professional football. Um, and, and I think the kid, this is his time. You're right, John. If he, if not now, when? Like, if he doesn't show it here over these three, four games, however long they give him to prove it, then, and I think that he needs that kind of sample size. If he doesn't show it, then, then he's done in Saskatchewan as a starting quarterback.
7: I agree. And he'll be done in the league because uh, who's going to take a chance on him? I mean, uh, really, you know, because you look at like Chad Kelly, you know, going a starter for one year. and Look what he did. Mayer had uh, stretches in Calgary. It's fine's turn. And if he can't, then it's time to, you know, like you said, give him three or four games. And if not, uh Bill Gala or Patterson, give them a shot. And if not, then... You're going to have to find
2: somebody. Yeah, it's an interesting thing here because the Rough Riders went and got Trevor Harris because, let's be honest, they got to get back to winning. The fans want to see a winning team. And, of course, Dickinson and O'Day don't have contracts for next year. And I know that's the same. Like, if Orlando Steinauer doesn't start uh, turning things around at Hamilton, it doesn't matter if you have a contract. You're fired in this league because it's a win-now business. And that's the problem. Oh, play your backups. Play your backups. Co- coaches aren't playing backups. They're backups for a reason because another guy they de- is better and it's a win now business but now's the time for Mason Fine. It's a perfect chance for him to step in. I hope the kid performs and I'm confident that he's going to show us that he does have a future with the Rough Riders but hey, I'm not ruling if it doesn't go so good for him, I'm not saying he's out of the league because Antonio Pipkin and Nick Arbuckle and on and on and on. Dom Davis, they still get chances so I wouldn't rule out Mason Fine but I hope uh, he shows well. We got to go John. Thanks for your time, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, brother. Take care. All right. Uh, Quickly, Blaine, you got another uh, text there? 936-6262? I got a few scores here I'll rattle
3: off here. So this is coming from Mike. And I'll I'll just... The common theme is they're all close scores so far. So Mike McGill is uh, predicting a rider win 21-18. Okay. We got Trevor from Saskatoon. He's predicting a 23-20 win for the riders. Oh. Uh, Bev, she's picking the riders to win 28-24. Uh, Rod from Saskatoon, he's picking the Riders' win, 27-24. Uh, we have uh, Braden, he's yeah. picking Nate from, or sorry, uh, Travis from Regina's picking BC to win 30-13. Okay and just clicking that up again. And then, yeah, Braden's picking the Riders to win 21-14. So
2: here's the thing about the Riders winning. That's not that far off the deep end. If the Riders can win two phases of the game, and let's be honest, I like Vernon Adams. He's a great dude, and I wish him well. But he's... He's good enough to keep both teams in the game. He's good enough to keep his team in the game, and he will go out and throw six interceptions and keep the other team in the game. So it's going to be very interesting, and I wouldn't rule the Riders out. We're going to take a break and be back with more in a moment on the Sports Cage
1: on six twenty CKRM. We're talking baseball with the latest on the Jays and the MLB. It's around the horn with Ben Wagner on the Sports Cage on six twenty CKRM.
2: Here with the great radio voice of the Toronto Blue Jays, Ben Wagner. Alec Manoa had a great game in Detroit, but then he kind of of played a real lineup in the San Diego Padres. Um, What do you make of it after that effort?
11: Well, I know you've been salivating on this series because you're a big Padres (laughs) fan. And finally, your offense showed what it can do. Yes. Uh, You know, for for Alec Manoa specifically, of course Detroit was a softer landing. You can't make mistakes. He made a couple of very good pitches. They got hit out of the ballpark from a from an Alec Manoa standpoint. But for Alec, he has to execute fastballs and the sliders. If, if one isn't working, you can hunt. And you know how potent that offense is. It's got all-stars littered from top to bottom. And the Padres look like the Padres are supposed to look last night. And they hit a couple of mistakes. And I know there was a lot of questioning about that first couple of innings around Manoa. He was certainly squeezed. And there were missed calls. Let's be, let's be very honest. Uh, but – overall when you look at it objectively did Alec Manoa execute the pitches the way that he should no it's a significant step back for him after it looks like you saw some improvement after being gone out of the major league rotation for a month so there's certainly a lot of work to do for Alec and it starts with just executing pitches and being better Uh, a couple of encouraging things if you're looking for silver linings you know the fastball velocity was there a couple of times it was Picked up from even the Detroit outing. But overall, you know, the effectiveness and execution of the pitches just weren't as good as they need to be to get through any lineup in the big leagues, let alone a dangerous lineup like the Padres. I heard
2: your uh, your broadcast. I listened to about six or seven innings of it, and you had a great, uh, great line there. You said, hey, let's look at this from 35,000 feet. Uh, it was a bad effort or a bad outcome, but the Blue Jays have been playing some pretty good baseball here.
11: Yeah, winning eight out of ten, that's really good beating teams that you should beat. They got no hit. I mean, you know what? That's why you go to the ballpark every day, right? You want to see something new. They got no hit in Detroit. Nobody saw that coming. Uh, even even A.J. Hinch, right? Let's be honest. But you win, uh, what was it, five out of six on that road trip. That's what you're supposed to do. You take advantage of a struggling Diamondbacks club coming out of the All-Star break. You're firing on all cylinders. And remember, you win – you win 14 out of 21 games, you know, and I remember saying that last night. I said, you got to look at where the Blue Jays were and where they are, where are they getting better, despite even some very, very big things working against them and losing somebody in the rotation. How they navigated through the month of June is still beyond me, and that's a credit to the guys down in the bullpen. And the rest of the rotation, too, They was asked a lot to, sh- to pitch on short rest, knowing they had to cover a ton of innings. Uh, this is about the best-case scenario that the Blue Jays could have walked out of June, and early July.
2: Yeah, l- let's, uh, let's take a look at the Padres for a second. When they play like that, you're like, okay, that's why they spent the third most money in terms of payroll in Major League Baseball. Problem is, Ben, that team, I think, has only had one three-game sweep the entire year. It came just before the All-Star break. Do you, do you see a way where these guys can uh, get to the playoffs? Because they got to jump some teams in the NL.
11: And you know what? That three-game series sweep is their, is their longest winning streak of the year. Crazy. They've not had a longer winning streak than three games, and, and that's it. You know that is, That's a concern, and the Diamondbacks are certainly better. You know the Giants are a really good team. You know the Los Angeles Dodgers. Not only are they good right now, they're probably going to get better. Let's be honest. It's going to be very difficult in my mind for the Padres to really make a push. They are going to have to make maneuvers that will not only get them above the hump, but I mean, make, make jumps in the standings, which is incredible. I don't think they're there. I really don't think they're there. And unfortunately, what happens when you're not there, you start to sell. And then the season, you know, just basically becomes a white flag. I don't think they're going to, they're going to unload tons of talent. The Padres are still drawing extremely well. There are reasons to go watch them. But there are going to be valuable pieces that they could cash in on for the future, both prospect-wise. And you might even get some major league talent in return for Blake Snell, for a Josh Hader. I think there are a couple of pieces that are certainly on the trade block for the Padres.
2: Interesting matchup on the Hill today. You got the timeless Hugh Darvish against Jose Barrios. That should be a good matchup on the bump.
11: Oh, my gosh. When the pitching probables came out for this series, I was very, very excited. I get geeked up about the old school pitching matchups, you know, going Mm -hmm. in and how guys fall. You Darvish, Jose Barrios, and Jose Barrios has saved the bacon. We were talking about the rotation and what they were able to do. His consistency this season for the Blue Jays is really paying off. I thought he was the most important pitcher going into spring training. Uh, Would he be able to bounce back? What kind of performance would he be able to have for the Blue Jays? And he has certainly been electric at times and very stable almost all the way through season for the Blue Jays. Everybody's had a hiccup. Everybody will have a hiccup, uh, whether it's a starter, reliever, offensive player, everybody goes into slumps. But Jose Brios for me has been tremendous. The return of his fastball and the life on the sinker has been paramount to his success. It's upticked in velocity. It's got amazing life. And that makes the slur that much more dangerous, not only because guys have to sit on the fastball and wait for it, but also... He's added bite to it. And the the difference in velocity has been a huge separator for Barrios and his success.
2: Tell you what, that is the craziest thing about the pod race. Their pitching has been real good. Like their starting pitching has been excellent. Um, the bullpen or at least the middle relief to to get the hater has not been great. And then they leave a lot of runners in scoring position. But you look at Musgrove yesterday, man. That guy, when he's throwing like that, he's hard to hit. And uh, Blake Snell having uh, Tampa Bay-like Blake Snell results.
11: Yeah, he looks like the young Blake Snell again, doesn't he? That's why I certainly think he can get a King's Ransom if he ends up on the trade block. Last night, for Joe Musgrove, who's had quite the evolution of a, of a season. And this is, this is a credit to somebody not being so bullheaded and, you know, saying, I've got to throw this pitch. I have it in my, in my arsenal. He didn't like a slider. Didn't like a slider in spring training. Didn't like it for the first couple of months of the year. Stopped throwing it in Hmm. games, just absolutely scrapped it. Went with a fastball and a big curveball, and he's got the hammer. He's got the old-school 12-6 to big curveball, dropping it in inside, outside. He can pick the top part of the zone. And he just said, you know what? Until I feel comfortable throwing my slider, whether it's flat ground, whether it's working on it in the bullpen, I'm just going to forget it. We're not even going to make it part of the attack. Well, about two and a half weeks ago, guess what he found? Mm -hmm. The slider. And guess what kept the Blue Jays off balance and saw a lot through the first two times through the order? The slider, it's back, it's dangerous, and and Joe Musgrove is having a tremendous season for that rotation in San Diego. Uh, it, it's fun to watch, you know, guys, as they kind of figure stuff out, and when they find it and they find a good one on a night, they just rely on it, and he certainly wrote it to a really, really nice start.
2: That's my concern about Manoa. Hey, I'm not a baseball expert. Don't pretend to know it as much as guys like you. But when Manoa pitches, it seems he needs a lot of support. I'm talking from the, from the pen. That is not a winning combination for the Blue Jays.
11: No, it killed him early in the season. Look at why the Blue Jays' bullpen kind of ended up on fumes. And the coverage then starts to press on the other guys in the rotation. But Noah starts where ineffective that's the bottom line they weren't deep the the results were were bad when it comes to contact when it comes to the walks um the the results are what they are you know let's just let's just be very blunt and honest about it and the runway that he had was extremely long and he was given every opportunity to dig himself out of the hole but he never got things in sync and last night as you as we know five walks no strikeouts, which is a rarity, didn't get deep into the game. The first inning goes forty one pitches. That's the kind of stuff that really piled up on the Blue Jays early in the season. And we focus a lot on June, and I've been guilty of it too. But think about the a start like last night and what it did the first ten times, eight times through the rotation. You know, mm-hmm. now through April when everybody is trying to like really get their sea legs. Fight through some dead arm phases too. That stacks up on the bullpen. Now you've got Eric Swanson that's running on fumes. Jordan Romano has been running on fumes. I know that's a closer late game situations. It's a byproduct of why Adam Simbers struggled because he was pitching more than he ever had. Uh, Jimmy Garcia obviously was asked to do way too much, way too early in the season, uh, and and certainly the WBC had an effect that lingered for him at the start of the year. So now we're talking about four guys. Zach Pops, another guy that was injured earlier in the year, but the injury was because of workload. And, and he's been gone for almost 60 yeah. games now. Yeah. So this, this certainly has a snowball effect on the Blue Jays. And winning comes down to pitching. That's the bottom line. Do you have answers? Do you find solutions with your pitching staff to get wins?
2: Lastly, I love watching uh, Danny Jansen catch, man. He reminds me of the throwback 80s where the guy stands up, sometimes gets out of the crouch, very active back there. He's kind of fun to watch.
11: He is fun to watch. You know, and and credit to Danny Jansen. He has improved so much defensively, and he's going to be relied on a lot. Alejandro Kirk is not hitting. Alejandro Kirk's in the major leagues because of his bat-to-ball skills. That's the bottom line. Mm -hmm. He's a good receiver. Metrics tell you that he's a good receiver but he really doesn't throw well. He doesn't block that great. He's a good receiver, and they have to pick their spots when Kirky goes behind the plate from now on. But if he's not hitting, you have to play Danny Jansen because he is hitting. He's getting the ball in play, and he hits with authority. And when he is doing things on both sides of the ball, he's an elite catcher. He is certainly a standout backstop in the big leagues. And his and really, his his blocking has always been very, very good. His His throwing has been improving even at the big league level over the last four plus seasons and his receiving metrics are improving too and this is such a massive thing in the game right now that's a reason why he was placed behind alec manoa last night uh the bat sure but trying to work and build confidence and the presentation is one of the things that i talk with the coaches about and why they feel so confident when danny is back there it's because it's the mannerisms, it's the pep talk in between pitches, it's getting that glove out there with some authority, letting the guy visualize where, not only to throw it, but where the catcher wants it. And that has just as much to do with conviction in pitches for a lot of the Blue Jays. And we've heard Chris Bassett talk about it, we've heard Alec Manoa, we've seen the Yusuke Kikuchi turnaround. And the Blue Jays give a lot of credit to Danny Jansen behind the dish, being able to do that.
2: The great radio voice of the Toronto Blue Jays, Ben Wagner with Around the Horn. Thanks for your time, man. I appreciate it. My pleasure, Michael. We will chat next week.
1: It's time to step into the radio octagon. You're tuned to the Sports Cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. let keep the show rolling here. Um,
2: so, uh Blaine Weiland talked to Logan Furlan, Offensive lineman Good Saskatchewan boy Regina Kitt Prairie, Regina Thunder player I say Prairie Thunder, that's where they came into the league But they haven't been that for years, sorry And then uh, you had a chance to catch up with uh, Evan Johnson Regina guy, but learned his craft From Scott Flory up at the U of S Here's Blaine Wyland with Evan Johnson
3: You've uh, been so far a lot of close games for you guys so far this season, four of those games right down to the wires. Is that, that kind of we're on you guys both mentally and physically in the early part of the season?
12: Well, it's one of those things where if, if you're winning those close games, oh, it doesn't really matter. You know, winning obviously makes things a lot easier. Uh, losing those tight games are obviously a lot tougher. Um, so it's just a matter of trying to find a way to win and, uh, you know, in, enjoying, enjoying those games, those close games. I guess you guys won the first three close games and you lose
3: the last one against Calgary. Did you learn, I guess, an extra lesson in the last game against Calgary?
12: I mean, we, we just have to be able to figure out adversity, especially as an offense. Uh, we have to be able to kind of find our rhythm even when we're struggling. So, you know, the, the defense and the special teams played really well last game and the offense kind of uh, had their moments of sputtering. So we just have to be able to find ways in order to, you know, string drives together and move the ball downfield. Can you just
3: talk about the difficulties this unit has faced in terms of continuity throughout this season in terms of guys in and out of the lineup?
12: Yeah, I mean we we haven't had the same lineup since week two, so um, we're we're still trying to gel, trying to find our our groove as a unit. We're doing all the right things, you know. We're coming in early, staying late, all that sort of stuff. So it's uh, we're just going to stay the course and it'll it'll figure itself out here.
3: It's kind of difficult too? Kind of the t- two spots to be kind of rotating guys in as the center and the left tackle as well.
12: Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough to be having different guys at any position on the offensive line there. So, we're like I said, we're doing the right things. We're building that good culture in the room, and uh, we're looking to be a little more consistent.
3: Just your thoughts. It's, uh, in terms of communication, what's your thoughts about the communication in terms of the old line, especially with a lot of those uh, guys rotating in and out of the lineup?
12: Yeah, you're talking as far as just uh, communicating side by side and making yeah. points and stuff yeah. like that. So. Uh, you know, we, we've got Bandy in centre there, he got some experience last year as well when Dan went down, so he's he's got almost a full season under his belt, you know, starting at centre there, so uh, he's making, he's seeing things properly, he's making the right points, and we're just having to make sure that the whole offensive line uh, is able to hear that and echo that out.
3: Of course, the crowd noise in today, uh, does that help in terms of, you know, leading up to the matchup with
12: BC, and are you guys expecting a lot of the crowd noise coming up on Saturday? I mean, you know, whether we're expecting it or not, we have to be prepared for it. So, uh, we're we're going to have games down the stretch where crowd noise is an issue. So, uh, you know, just to get it in early uh, definitely helps. And if we have to use it in BC, so be it.
3: Just want to get your thoughts about uh, Mason. You know, this week now as a starting quarterback, any difference in terms of you know last week in terms of you know before when he was like the number two guy?
12: I I mean, obviously, we've, having Trevor in the huddle is you know having Trevor in the huddle. He's he's got a lot of experience. Uh, and you know we love having him around so mason is doing a really good job of stepping up i thought he stayed really composed finishing off the game last week there so um he's you know he's he's got starts under his belt too so it'll just be a matter of uh you know keeping him upright protecting him doing a good job and uh like i said he does a good job of keeping himself composed so i'm not worried about that at all
3: and how big is it and how luxurious is it for guys for you guys to have a guy with experience as the backup
12: Absolutely, I mean, there's there's no substitute for experience, whether it's football or you know any other kind of work. So uh, having that experience uh, goes a long, long way.
2: All right, thanks a lot, Evan. Yeah, thanks so much. That's Evan Johnson with our own Blaine Wyland. Blaine's in studio here. Sean was working all day, so he is off now. Labor (laughs) loss. Anyway, four thirty in the morning. Come Come on, on. get your. I I pulled down all those shifts in my whole life. Okay, so. Let's talk some jerseys here. Let's start in the CFL. Uh, I really like what the Lions did the last game when they went uh, with the black unis, but they went with the fog gray pants that they wear on the road. That was a nice combo. I don't know if they'll do that on on uh, Saturday versus the Riders so they'll go all black but those are nice tight unis and I love the Riders uh, road unis where the white jerseys on the green pants Yeah, I don't like the all pickle look That I'm not a big fan of I, I hope they'll change that if they do something next year like change that whole thing I, I think they should have white pants at home or even like the back in the day when they had the silver pants yeah well and back and you raise a good point and it ties in nicely Blaine it's almost like you read my mind you did and we also talked about it before <laughs> we went on the air so the Riders back in the day and those in, in in that day, the Ken Austin, the Jeff Bentram, the whatever they had the silver pants, they had the gr- the green helmet, and they had the rider logo with the wraparound. Yeah, it went around the helmet, much like the Seattle Seahawks, who are going back to their retro Seattle Seahawks. Like they broke in the same time as the Bucks, the Buccaneers went with the creamsicle. They're going with the creamsicle retros. Okay, mm-hmm. that's the well, it's a creamsicle jersey, <laughs> yeah. and I like it first. First person you think of when you think of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers cream school uni is? For me, Vinny Testaverdi. Okay, mine's a big Doug Williams, yeah. the former Redskin yeah. quarterback, but he was yep. with the Bucks first. Steve Young was there in that yep. jersey. And James Wilder Sr., he was a running back with the Tampa Buccaneers. Uh, now, the Seahawks are going to go to their, their bl- the blue with kind of the emerald green, and they're going to have the wrap around like yeah. the old silver helmets. So, who do you think of when you think of that, Uni? Cortez Kennedy. It's a good one. He's dead now. Hard to believe. Yeah. Uh, the Bo- I think of the boss. Yeah, but, yeah. But even more than that, I'm a little older than you. I think of Steve Largent, the great number 80. The great... Re- 80? Or 89. I can't remember. Yeah. The great 80. He was 80. Steve Largen. He went on to be a senator. Uh, he was mm-hmm. a great, uh, great uh, receiver. With oh, yeah. Jim Zorn, former Blue Bomber coach. <laughs> the lefty. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I think of.
3: Yeah, Chris Warren's another guy I think of. With those. Yeah. Those are like the, the AFC jerseys. I think of those jerseys. I think of the Seahawks back when they were in the AFC.
2: And, it, and I also think of Kurt Warner before Kurt Warner, yeah. you know. Kurt Warner, the running back, not Kurt Warner, the grocer, uh the grocery yeah. clerk, and then the uh Iowa barnstormer and then the Hall of Fame quarterback, <laughs> but Kurt Warner the running back. Yeah. So yeah, it's cool. Anyway, nine three six sixty two sixty two, send us a text. Tell us what the score is gonna be for the Saskatchewan Rough Rider game versus the a BC Lions, and if we pick your text, you'll be off to see the game on August the 6th when the Ottawa Redblacks come to town. Coming up next, we're going to take a trip down memory lane with John Lipp as it relates to former rider president Fred Wagman, who's just passed away recently the age of 86. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM.
1: Sports talk lives here. Welcome to another hour of the Sports Gage with your host, Michael Ball.
2: And away we go, the final hour. We'll uh, make our draw for the pick the score from the text we've received. Got a great guest waiting on hold here. Here We're talking off the air about NFL training camps and when they get going, they're going to be firing up here right away next week. The Jets are in hard knocks. Aaron Rodgers not happy about that, I hear, but he's not happy about lots of things. But I I saw this. Apparently, the Jets won't allow hard knocks to film players being released or cut, which I absolutely agree with. That is the end of uh, some players' dreams, and I don't think that should be... That shouldn't be really. Yeah, I agree. That's a, that's a tough one. Mo- yeah, that's, that's really tough to tell. Yeah. In this whole reality world, yeah, I, know, I understand why they do it, but uh, yeah. I'm not a fan of am not a my- huge fan of that. No, for sure not. All right. Uh, today we had some bad news from Ryder Nation. Um, Fred Wegman. Long, well, he's a president of the Rough Riders on the board of directors with uh, Access Communications as well. He called into this show from time to time to our post game show. Uh, we found out this week he passed away at the age of 86. So I thought I'd get one of his friends on, and the guy who's responsible for bringing him on to the board, and then eventually he replaced this guy as the president of the Rough Riders. Joining us on the phone is John Lipp. Uh, John, thanks for joining me on the Western Pizza Hotline. I do appreciate it. Your initial thoughts on the passing of your friend and colleague, Fred Wagman.
6: Well, it was certainly a, a shock when I heard about it this morning. Uh, Fred and I go back a long ways, as you mentioned. When I became uh, President, uh, one of the first people I went after to be on the board, or uh, the Executive Committee, as we call it, in those days, was Fred, uh, because he was just an ideal candidate for serving on the board. He was a, a, a very successful businessman, uh, was primarily responsible for getting access to communications, Uh Cable Regina, it was in those days, started. Mm-hmm. He was very involved in the community, uh, president of the Chamber of Commerce for a year, and all that kind of stuff. So, and on top of it, all, very passionate and avid uh, you know, writer fan, and go, going way back. So, with the ideal candidate, then it proved to be a good choice because when my term was up, uh, he had developed to the point where he then took over as as president uh, when I uh,
2: left. Yeah, so you were the president during the American expansion and all that uh, type of thing. We've talked about that in the past when I don't think fans really realized that this league was on life support. And then he was the guy, after you, I believe they had a telethon that he created to give that financial shot in the arm to the riders and keep them from folding. I'm right when I say that, right?
6: Absolutely. Uh, Again, people... uh, Nowadays don't realize how precarious uh, the writers financially were in um, in those days. That was in in uh, in uh, ninety uh, six, I think, six and yeah. ninety seven. Yeah, and uh, we were we were very close to to uh, uh, really having to fold up. That's how bad it it was. And Fred uh, and you know and board, uh, at that time, decided some some dramatic stuff had to be done. And, and one of the big fundraisers that we g- came up with under Fred's leadership was uh, the province-wide telethon. And it ended up, you know, being quite successful. The whole province pitched in in so many different ways and, you know, raised uh, enough money to to keep us afloat and to enable us to... Carry on, and uh, eventually, of course, as we all know, uh, eventually developed into a very successful. business enterprise yeah. and, and football
2: operations. it's really the uh it's really at least in terms of the brand and everything like that it really is the flagship of the CFL if the the league want the league needs the riders to do well because rider fans travel everywhere they boost the uh coffers at the stadiums including their own and they boost the uh the ratings for sure and that's uh that's undoubtedly the case I wonder if you guys uh I know you guys were tireless workers behind the scenes. Yourself, Tom Shepard, uh, Fred Wagman. Do you guys ever, uh, you know, sit and talk before he passed away? Obviously, here just recently. Did, did you ever sit and talk about? Holy cow! Like, look at the stadium we're sitting in now.
6: <laughs> exactly, and and how successful we got money in the bank. We got the best uh, stadium in in the country. Uh, we've got an amazing. Uh, Band base that is second to none, and uh, yes, we certainly say and and we we always say you know we can put the damn close to uh, not surviving uh, in those days. It was really that close. Mm-hmm. Hey,
2: give yeah, me, we, uh, give me, a, give we, me, we, give me something as it relates to Fred Wagman. What made him a good? Like he's a fan. You're a fan. Uh, Tom Shepard's a fan. You don't have to. The, the uh, give a crap factor is always going to be there, as I like to say. You guys cared that much. That's why you rolled up your sleeves. But what made yeah. Fre- Fred Wagman a great president and uh, businessman?
6: Well, he. he was a hard worker when he set his mind to something like most successful business people he get a plan and he would go after it and work hard at Mm achieving and that's what we did with the riders when when we had the financial problems we decided something dramatic had to be done and under fred leaderships we we decided you know we have to do whatever we can to try to Save this franchise because we know how important it is not only to this to us here in the city, but to the league as you've mentioned. Uh, how important it was for our franchise to survive. I'd so th- Fred was just that kind of a hardworking mm-hmm. uh, businessman. Uh, and, and the community, uh, you know, uh, interested in the community and the welfare of, of our community at large.
2: I believe I saw him going out of the stadium the last game. I was going the other way and it looked very much like him in a wheelchair, but because I got a rush to the Harvard studio under the, you know, in the restaurant area there, I couldn't stop to say hi, but uh, but I know he called us all the time and was uh, always uh, instrumental in our call-in shows and, and this show too.
6: All right, went to, he, go he ahead. He went to every game. He mm-hmm. went to every game. Yeah. Uh, uh, these years in the in, in the wheelchair and so on, but yeah. he went to every game and uh, remained a very, very loyal and, and avid fan. Yeah. Okay,
2: John, before I let you go, uh, you know uh, he's up there getting ready for this big game against the BC Lions, so you could talk uh, for him, but I want your opinion on what you think about this football team right now and, and how they're going to proceed going forward.
6: Well, uh, I'm consciously optimistic uh I'm I'm a little bit concerned about you know the injuries that we've mm-hmm. got going, and it it's definitely affected us. And of course, losing Harris. Although I, I don't I'm, I'm not as concerned as some people are, uh, because I I have a feeling this Fiennes kid he could surprise some people. I I like him. I've I've looked at some of his background in college and stuff, and he he is just a, one of those guys that is is a winner. It seems to me and. And a, and a really good passer, so I, I'm pretty confident that he could surprise a lot of people. And and once we get some of our, you know, injured guys back, some of our receivers, especially, uh, I think uh, we're going to be in the hunt. You know, I, I I'm pretty confident that we have a good shot at making the playoffs.
2: John, that's all we want, a chip, a chair, and a chance, uh, just like uh, you did for Ryder fans, Fred Wagman did, Tom Shepard. We wouldn't have what we have without guys like that and many others behind the scenes. Thanks for your time, John. I appreciate
6: it. Anytime, Bollie.
2: Thanks. Take care. That's John Lipp, former president of the Rough Riders, who brought Fred Wegman onto the board. Fred would succeed him, and Fred passes away at the age of 86. Our thoughts and prayers going out to his kids and his family and friends. When we come back, we'll do our pick the score, and uh we'll hear from uh, Logan Furland, too. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Teen Rough Rider win over the BC Lions coming up here on Saturday. 5 o'clock kickoff, our pregame show here in your voice of Rough Riders football. 620 CKRM is at 2 o'clock. And uh, yeah, we are your voice of not just the Riders, but let's be honest, the CFL. Nobody talks CFL football like we do in this entire country. Like it's not even close. So we're your voice and we'll be coming to you from the big top in Vancouver. Anyway, he picks a 21-18 game. So he's got two tickets to the Ottawa game, we'll be in contact with you Mike and if you are the closest or right on the money for picking the score we uh, will pick your name for the $200 gift card to Tell, because it is Tell, pick the score and then you'll be in the running if you get to that stage in the contest journey you'll be in the running for a uh, sweet experience next year, you and three others going to watch a rider game in a luxury suite. Right now let's hear from Rider's offensive lineman Logan Furland
4: Bring up a bad memory, but take me through the, the mind of Logan Furlan when you see Trevor Harris go down
5: this way. Uh, your your heart breaks for the guy. He's Such a, t- a team guy, and really has created something special here, culture-wise. And uh, your heart breaks for for a guy that's you know showing up first thing in the morning, last guy to leave, uh, day in day out. One of the hardest working guys on the field. So, yeah, it's uh, heartbreaker would would define it.
4: How do you move forward in that game and as a season without your starting quarterback?
5: I mean, we, we got a new starting quarterback, right? We got Mason Fine, and we, we have to trust uh, trust his play. Mason's an extremely good player, and uh, we just have to trust what he brings to the table.
4: Did you have to flip a switch when, you, you know, you obviously show compassion when your quarterback goes down during the game, I'm saying, and then all of a sudden you've got to still play the game and, and finish a game?
5: yeah it's uh it's a it's a tricky moment because uh it's pretty emotional watching a guy you know possibly end his season You, you know you don't know what that injury is at the time and uh you know if you were in the same shoes you know vice versa it's the same thing so um it is a it is a switch flip moment like uh and that's just that's really what it is you have to be able to just go back to uh, game time and uh, focus up
4: but as an O-lineman I guess I'll say uh, you're looking forward always right and and it doesn't really matter who's behind you or, or does it does it matter who's sticking the snaps
5: I mean nothing overall nothing changes too much I mean you might get A little bit different cadence you might get a little bit different drops but for the most part our guys are really good at being consistent no matter who's in there Uh, nothing really changes for us so we just have to like i said trust what mason's going to do trust his play um give him enough time to make his reads and we'll put ourselves in a good spot
3: it seems like uh mason's always the most positive guy in the room is that the case
5: absolutely i mean we i think we have a lot of positivity in the room and uh but yeah mason's a very brings a brings a very positive mindset to the room as well
3: how big is it to have a guy with experience in case of, like, with Mason's situation coming in?
5: It's huge. You know, he, he got a decent amount of playing time last year, and uh, it, I think it showed in the in the last quarter um, just how he plays. And, uh, you know, we, we were able to drive the ball a couple times. So uh, I think that's important, His the game time experience he's had, and it brings a lot to the table.
3: What areas of his game did he grow in in terms of improving from last year to this year?
5: I mean, as an old lineman, I... I probably can't tell you very much, honestly. <laughs> I don't watch a lot of quarterback film, but uh, I think it's just going to be maturity and just it's going to the game's going to slow down a lot for him. The more game experience the guy has, the more things really slow down out there.
3: Just the old line. You just talk about the, the, the challenge you guys have been facing over these last few weeks with the continuity of different guys rotating, especially that left
12: tackle.
5: Yeah, I mean it's not just old line. It's our whole team. We've been we've been dealing with the injury bugs. so. Um, continuity is always a big thing. We need it, but we also can't make excuses, and that can't be an excuse for having a, a sloppy game. So uh, we need to bounce back and just get together as a unit and, and fix what we need to fix.
3: You know Bigs would have a guy like Brand Council back this week. It looks like so far, at least today.
5: Yeah, it's big. I mean, uh, Lofton does a great job as well, and uh, it doesn't matter who's in there. We're we're gonna play like the same unit.
4: You guys need to play better as an O
5: line. I I believe so. Last game was easily our worst game this year, and we have a lot to improve on. And uh, we're obviously not going to take these guys lightly. They're, they're a very good D-line. And uh, we're going to approach it like we do every week and, and grind it out and refocus and uh, just next game.
4: Is there anything that you can do differently or is it all just about performing on game day? Can you, can you take a different approach during practice, prep, whatnot, or is it all just about... I mean,
5: really it just comes down to more prep. Um, more prep as a group, I think, so we're all on the same page Is is, uh, is really the... The name of the week, I think. Um, so, as far as like putting the work in on the field, we're always a very hard-working unit on and off the field, and we just need to continue to do that.
6: After winning, oh, after winning
3: so many close games, you learn a tough lesson when you lose one.
5: It's tough. It's been frustrating too, like with close games all the time. You know, you're. It just adds a, a different level of exhaustion when when you're just always finishing at the very end. So. Um, you know, we have to do a better job of just taking teams away in the first half.
1: 3-2
5: offering. Fly ball to left field. Pretty well hit. Farcio going back. He's at the wall. It is gone.
0: Two-run home run for Juan Soto, and the Padres take an early 2-0 lead against the
2: Blue Jays here in the first. Yeah, Juan Soto goes deep to get the Padres off and running. They hit four homers in all and Club Toronto, 9-1 to open up a three-game set at the Rogers Center. Today, it's going to be Hugh Darvish of the Friars taking to the hill against Jose Barrios, who starts on the bump for the Blue Jays. Our clutch performer, Juan Soto of San Diego. For Nick's service in Emerald Park, your local Massey Ferguson challenger, Rogator, Gleaner, and Fent dealer, give them a call, 781-1077.
1: Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at SportsCage. Now back to the action on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. Good news
2: continuing for the CFL. Each matchup in week six, Averaged 62.5 points with 251 score combined. Three games featured thrilling finishes in the fourth quarter. Or overtime, it was the highest-rated week on television dating back to week two of the pandemic-shortened 2021 season. That is outstanding. The uh, Hamilton-Edmonton game averaged almost... 579,000. Toronto at Montreal with you, TSN and RDS, 650,000. Winnipeg at Ottawa, 490,800. And the Rough Riders, 721,600. As the stamps were in town. So that is a great job in terms of the eyes in the CFL. And slowly, maybe we'll get some uh, fans back into the seats. Uh, and they're slowly coming. Uh, they've opened up the upper bowl in Vancouver for that game on Saturday. They're doing a like a watermelon crush type of fun activity outside for the tailgating, making fun of, you know are Watermelon Heads and the Rough Riders. And Mason Fine comes in, the underdog Rough Riders. Can they knock off the best team in the West and the second-best team in the CFL, the BC Lions? I've got Toronto 1, BC 2, Winnipeg a distant 3. I have Calgary at 4 by virtue of their victory over the Rough Riders, even though their record isn't as good as the Riders. I've got the Riders at 5 on my power rankings. Montreal at 6. Ottawa at seven, and there's a little bit of a gap there between Ottawa and Hamilton, I think. Although the Tiger Cats have been playing better and then Edmonton and if I could put Edmonton twelve, I would. They are fourteen and a half point favor or underdogs going into this game tomorrow. Will they finish within two touchdowns, Blaine? Uh I think the two touchdowns. Will they get within two touchdowns? Uh, I don't think so. No, you think Winnipeg will cover the spread? I I
3: think this is going to be ugly. I think this is going to be an ugly Uh, one.
2: It could be. Hey, I'll tell you what, who isn't ugly, it's nice to see him back here. Hopefully he can remain healthy. It's Frankie
8: Hickson
7: um this frankie i guess being a member of the special teams what's that like how do you have to adapt your game on that
8: to the ball oh you just have to be in really good shape um be ready to make the play um it's it's unique because special teams uses the entire field you know offense defense we try to um but defense you know ultimately tries to eliminate it but um, in special teams you can really use all what is it 150 by 65 like so gigantic field, and, and um, if you're not in condition and if you're not ready to make the play, you can look really silly out there.
7: What's it like as a teammate seeing Mario be able to do what he can do? Oh,
8: it's, uh, it's a great sign, um, I think, of the, the team, but you got a great guy right there, a special guy, and um, he's not selfish. He's uh, definitely team first, um, and so he deserves to, to have games like that, and... Um, you know, he's uh he's definitely special, he's definitely a future Hall of Famer and um you know we, we love to just be a part of it. What can you learn from him? I'm just uh taking every day for uh for what it is and just uh trying to maximize the reps that you get and, and maximize the opportunities and uh yeah, he's uh he's great at doing that.
7: We saw at Calgary obviously you started to kick the ball away from him and yeah. they started coming to you. So yeah. when it's your opportunity, what's going through
2: your mind?
8: Uh well, I gotta make the play the same as if Mario were, but I gotta do it the way that you know, I do things and can't uh, I can't be Mario, but uh, I can be a, a, a good version of myself and make a good decision for my team. Has this team really become battle tested for the fact you guys been really four close games this season? Of course. We're we're battle tested, but uh that's the game of football and um I don't think any team in any season has ever, you know, made it completely free without injury. That's that's never happened. That can't happen. It's this is a violent sport, um and and it's a tough game and it's about who can go through the 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 mountaintops and the valleys, and still be standing at the end of it all.
3: Andre, how are you feeling? Are you looking to get yourself into a rhythm in terms of, you know, as a running back?
8: Yeah, I mean, it would be great to get into a rhythm, but it's, I mean, at the end of the day, it's whatever the team needs. Um, and whether that's on any of the special teams or if that's just me supporting my team from wherever I can be. I'll do whatever it takes to win. Has Mason been any different these past few days, you know, as a starting quarter compared to before? No, I mean, this is a very next man mentality type of team and I think we're showing a, a a great example of it, um, just every day and every week and, you know, no guy you've seen has, has, you know, got the the lights in their eyes and, and shied away from anything. Um, everybody has just been waiting for their opportunity and when it's come, they have made the most of it, and so there will be no different. Mason will do the same thing.
7: What is the biggest challenge this BC defense brings to the table?
8: I think their effort, their effort and their motor. Um, uh, they show up all, all the time on film with just you know being at the right place at the right time and, and giving 100% effort and and just working for for what they get. And so when you, when you have a team like that, you have to match their energy. You have to match their effort. Uh, and you have to find a way to be better than them and We have a great scheme ready for them, offense, defense, special teams, and it should be a good battle.
2: All right. We're going to tag team this day in sports history, which is brought to you by Capital Ford Lincoln, located at the corner of Roschdale and Pasqua. And I'll bring my lovely assistant, Blaine Weiland, into it. This day on sports history in 1996 was a huge day. It took everybody by surprise. Only a couple of people knew this was going to happen.
3: Muhammad Ali lights the Olympic torch in the Summer Olympics, of course, in Atlanta in 1996.
2: Yeah, Absolutely this day in sports. Hey, coming up, we got our um, Where Are They Now? Wednesday for Floor Coverings International. Need new floors? Let Floor Coverings International bring their mobile showroom to you. Visit their website for your free consultation. Your hard work, it allows the world to feed itself every day. Your rye, your wheat, and your barley. Your
0: flax, lentils, and beans. Millions and millions of people need you to be out there. So while the world is relying on you this harvest, you can always rely on us, Ebarasa and Sons. If you need anything this busy harvest season, we'll be there.
1: Ebarasa.com. They're the names we speak with reverence or scream out loud. The names that help define us, inspire us, and build the game that we all love. Each Wednesday on the Sports Cage, we flash to the past with a legend to see if there is indeed life beyond the scoreboard. This is Where Are They Now?
2: And time to wrap the show up with Where Are They Now? We do it on Wednesdays. We look at a player, a builder. Uh, a coach, somebody like that in a, in a various sport. And we're staying with football here. It's brought to you by Floor Coverings International. North Regina, they'll bring their design hub right to you with all their floor coverings so you can look at your options in your own light of your home. All right, Scott Rattle, former Saskatchewan Rough Rider, BC Lion, and Winnipeg Blue Bomber lineman joining me here, Saskatoon's own. How are you today, Scott? I'm great, Ballsy. How are you doing? Doing man. 1983 to 87, you play with the Rough Riders. Uh, not exactly a spectacular stretch in terms of wins or losses. But when you look back, <laughs> when you look back on that, Scott, as a Saskatchewan boy, A, you must have been proud. But what are some other thoughts that come to mind then?
10: Well, you're absolutely right. We had some lean years. Uh, but you know, I was born and raised in Saskatoon. My uh oldest brother played in the CFL, he played for Toronto and Hamilton, so I kind of saw through him that there was a path to the CFL for me, and uh, I graduated from U of S, and I was protected by the Riders in 83, and uh, you know, I was very proud to play for the team, I mean, I'm you know, I grew up watching them, Ron Lancaster, George Reed, George Wells, I mean, the reason I wore number 69 was because of George Wells, one of my Idols growing up, so yeah, very very proud to play for the Riders, you know, the home team, and uh, you know it, we didn't win a ton, but had a lot of fun and uh, have no
11: complaints.
2: You're full of stories, man, because I met you in Edmonton when you were out there with the uh, <laughs> with the Rough Rider alumni group there when they were putting something on before the very first game of the year. Is there one? Give it, give my listeners one funny story from that time between '83 and '87. You got one off the top of your head, Scott.
10: Oh man. Uh, there's a ton of stories. Um, now I'm not sure which ones are appropriate
2: for on air. Uh, (laughs) Give me one. Yeah. Give me one that won't get me fired. (laughs) Well, yeah, I won't
10: get either of us in trouble. Uh, you know, the story that comes to mind and it actually wasn't my years with the bombers uh, Or sorry, the riders, I played bombers, 89 and 90. And, uh, it, it does connect to the riders. Cal Murphy was our general manager in Winnipeg and Cal was notoriously cheap. Cal was known around the league as being an extremely shrewd and thrifty business person. And, uh, probably the funniest story is, uh, relates to the riders again with Robert Mims. Oh yeah. Now, now Mimsy probably won't appreciate me telling this story, but, uh, it really reflects who Cal was. So, Robert came up, I think he came up from the Kansas City Chiefs. He'd been playing in the NFL. Uh, Cal was great at finding really good American talent. And Robert was a tremendous running back. So, his first game, he was getting dressed and he got to, I mean, when you get your ankles done, they call it getting spatted. And he's got his shoes on, they were spatted, had his game pants on. So, he went to Lenny and he always. I mean, most guys do. He played with two pairs of socks. Well, in Winnipeg, got yeah, one pair of socks, and that was it. And uh, <laughs> Robert was like, was like, come on, Len, I, you know, I, I need an extra pair of socks. I always wear two pairs. And Len's like, nope, team protocol, you get one pair of socks. So, believe it or not, Robert Mims, this is like, you know, a 7 o'clock Friday night game. This is 45 minutes to kick off. Robert puts on a bomber warm-up coat and he walks over to Polo Park Mall from the old Winnipeg Stadium, Wow! Goes into, goes into Foot Locker and the kid at the desk, Robert grabbed a pair of socks and the kid at the desk goes, uh, you're Robert Mims, aren't you? And Robert <laughs> goes, yeah. And he goes, hey, they're on me. Uh, they're free. <laughs> and so Robert came back and like, we're getting ready to go out to warm up and pregame and Mike Riley's like hey where's Robert and all of a sudden Mimsy walks in and he quickly throws on his socks so nobody really knew what was going on so after the game you know you're having a beer at the boys and you're you're reminiscing about the game and then it, the story finally came out that where was Robert Well, he was over at Foot Locker getting a pair of oh socks. Oh my so- goodness
2: that's a classic story right there Scott <laughs>
10: Scott, I mean, and Ballsy, you know, that was my days in Winnipeg. We were fortunate. We won the Grey Cup in 1990. Again, fulfilled a childhood dream of, you know, played for my home team riders,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. won a
10: Grey Cup. But, uh, yeah, Winnipeg was an interesting two years, to say the least. Well, I will
2: tell you, though, it's interesting because you were here from 83 to 87, some lean years, but in a way was kind of the start of the building blocks to what would be an 88 season, where the Rough Riders would go uh, to the playoffs for the first time in forever and lost to the BC Lions. And weren't you with the Lions in 88?
10: Well, so you want to talk about timing. So in 87... I'd played five years. I was just kind of fed up with losing. So I went to Bill Baker and I said to him, uh, hey, Bill, you know, I'd like to be traded to Edmonton or Calgary. Joe Ferragheli was the head coach in Edmonton, Mm -hmm. and there was word that he wanted to get me in Edmonton. And so so four days before training camp, Ballsy, I go into the clubhouse, and Bill goes, yeah, I took care of you. I traded you. So I thought, excellent. Where am I going? Calgary, Edmonton. And at, it's interesting At the time I didn't even think about Winnipeg as a place to play. He said, you're going to BC. I got traded for Rick Clawson and I was like, what? And so mm. I went out to camp. I, I did all of camp. I probably would have made the team. I'm not a rain person. I, I just, I just didn't like the vibe in BC. So I decided, well, I guess I'll, I'll retire. So I would have been with the BC lions Cal Murphy phoned me right after the Labor Day game, said, hey, Scott, we want to bring you into Winnipeg. Uh, But then Winnipeg went on a roll and started winning some games. So teams never make changes when they're on a roll. So long story short, I I would have been with B.C. I would have been with Winnipeg. Well, Winnipeg goes to the Great Cup. B.C. goes to the Great Cup. Winnipeg beats B.C. for the Great Cup championship. And I'm like, holy crap, what terrible timing. And my goal, Ballsy, was to win a Grey Cup. I mean, that as a kid growing up in Saskatchewan, what else would you want? And so I thought, oh, what a terrible time. But then I signed with Winnipeg in 89. Uh, again, talk about timing. We play Hamilton in the Eastern Final. We should have won. They beat us, as you know. I mean, probably mm-hmm. one of the best Grey Cups ever. Riders go on to win in 89. My buddies, you know, Mike Anderson, Kenny Moore, Stevens, all the guys I played with get their ring. I'm thrilled for them, but I'm like, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. And they had 90, Winnipeg goes on a roll, and then we kick the crap out of Edmonton in the Grey Cup, and I got my ring.
2: Yeah, with Tom Burgess, who leaves Saskatchewan to go to Winnipeg. It's a small league, man. That's a great story, how the Grey Cup almost eluded you, but then didn't, and then really that was it. You, you quit after that. Was, that. was that something, hey, I won the Grey Cup, I can't do anything better than this?
10: You know what? That's exactly what it was, ballsy. I have, you know, I was, I played eight years, uh, relatively not injury free. I had injuries, but you know, nothing real serious. And we had our first son exactly three months after the Great Cup, uh, February 25th of uh, 1991. Our son William. And so my priority football was like when I was playing was like number two priority. And then when we had kids and we started a family, it, it became number four priority. I, I went out, you know, a great cup champion and uh, couldn't have asked for a better way. I played eight years. I was 29 when I retired, young for an old lineman. But uh, it was just time to do other things in
2: life. So uh, it is where are they now, Scott? What were those other things and what are you doing now?
10: Well, so I left the Bombers in '90. At the time, I was very fortunate, Ballsy. I got hired by dairy producers yeah. in 87. Now they're uh, Saputo Foods, Dairyland. And I worked in sales for them from 87. And actually, while I played football, so I kind of worked half days. It was, it was a really good arrangement. Gunnar Peterson was on the Rider Executive. He was the president of Dairy, uh, dairy World, Dairyland Foods, Dairy Producers. He said, yeah, you can play football and, and still work. And so even when I signed in Winnipeg, they uh, bought a dairy, you know, Manco Dairies in uh, Manitoba. So I worked as a sales manager in 90. So uh, and then I left the dairy industry in 99. I joined SAS Power. I worked as a key account manager at SAS Power till uh, June of 21. And I retired and so I'm now uh, retired. So that's kind of a synopsis of my working
2: career. It's awesome. And we had a little chat on the bus just to wrap up. You uh, go on these cool like golf uh, tours with your son.
10: Yeah, my youngest son, uh, he's a golfer. I'm a golfer. And, I mean, it's kind of cool that, you know, he still wants to do things with dad. And so our goal, the Score Golf Magazine, uh, they've got the top 59 uh, public courses in Canada and so my son and I are trying to golf the 59. Now it's a dynamic list it changes every year. So we've kind of picked a list from like 3 years ago, but we played uh Cabot Cliffs Cabot Links, you know, the I mean Cabot Cliffs is the number 18 rated course in the world of wow. Nova Scotia. And so my son and I are trying to golf the 59 top. We were just in Montana and we golfed uh bc montana three or four courses on the top 59 so i'm at about i'm at about probably 39 courses ballsy and my son is probably around 30 courses okay you gotta tell
2: you gotta tell you gotta tell this one quick story so uh, you used your negotiating skills from the dairy producer world and sas power account manager you uh like you you at that montana course because of weather or whatever, you or the cor- course course uh, reconfiguration or maintenance, you weren't supposed to golf the whole course, but the dude let you, tell that story quickly.
10: Well, Ballsy, so my son and I, he planned this trip. We're gonna go uh, to Alberta, BC, Montana, but the, the gem was the Wilderness Club in Eureka, Montana. I think it's ranked number 42 in the top 100 of the US public. So, my son set the trip up. Everything was set to go, so we get down to Eureka, Montana. it It's literally like fourteen miles over the border in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> so we get there, and uh, we're excited. It's a beautiful day. And the superintendent comes out and he said, "Yeah, um, you guys are here to play. Uh, what time are you playing?" you know we said, "Oh, in 45 minutes." He goes, "Yeah, you know we're, we're just gonna start punching the front greens." So, unfortunately, you're only going to be able to play nine holes. And I thought, oh, my God. And I, I thought he was joking at first. Mm-hmm. So, I was like, ha, good one. He goes, no, like, I'm dead serious. Like, we, our superintendent just decided to punch the green, so you can only play the back if you want to play twice. So, I was like, oh, my God. You know, the whole reason we're here is to golf this course. So, I told him, you know, I said, hey, my son and I are trying to do the top 59 and the top 100 public in the U.S., and this is just devastating news. So he goes and talks to the the manager, the superintendent, and so he says, "If you tee off right now, we'll let you go out on the front. We we haven't started punching. We'll start punching the greens right after you leave." So, Balsy we had the entire front nine to ourselves, and he said, "If anybody asks you why you're out there, uh, don't don't just don't say anything." So. We get out, we golf the front nine, we get we play the back nine, we play in a record time. It was just a tremendous round, really beautiful course. And so we went and thanked, you know, everyone that made that happen. Like we were very appreciative. And we uh, I said to the super the the GM, I said, So, you know, that was awesome. He goes, Yeah, we had a couple people that are regulars ask like why we were out there. And I guess their answer to him was, Well, when the owner and his son show up to golf they can do whatever they want <laughs> so so you know uh i, I mean I, a shout out to the wilderness club in eureka montana if you ever want to go off a beautiful course and tremendous customer service go down there
2: that's scott reddle former uh lineman in the canadian football league with your rough riders bc briefly and the winnipeg blue bombers is a great cup champ our guest on where are they now